Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. One of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament is Romans 8. And we read this morning from that passage. If I can get the Bible open properly, we'll read from there. Paul asks a powerful question in this passage, but for our sake, he also answers that question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And now Paul gives his answer. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Well, if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, I hope you did when Bill read, but I I just want to say how thankful I am uh, for the Bonners. Um, I'm sure it's not very often that a pastor can follow in a pastoral team that started a church and be one in spirit and mind for the gospel, but the Lord has given us that beautiful gift of being able to carry on the vision and the ministry of uh, Waterbrook here. So I really rejoice in God. We become friends with Ancha, of course, so it's, it's their adopted daughter. And uh, we just uh, rejoice in his uh, kindness to us as a family, as a couple, Marianne and I, through them. And so we have this great text of Scripture, and I, I'm going to read a quote in it. In it was almost like Maureen, when she was praying, quoted my quote from Elizabeth Elliot. <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote that in a second, but it was almost verbatim as she was praying. I love how the Spirit of God unites us when we don't even know as we're moving along. But I had used a quote last week from um, Octavius Winslow, who was in the 1800s. I'll just say a little bit of his quote where he said, It is because we have such shallow views of God's love that we have such defective views of God's dealing dealings it's because we have such shallow views of God's love Romans 8 is an argument against a shallow view of God's love what is a shallow view of God's love a shallow view of God's love is a, de- a definition of God's love that is tied to our circumstances in this life not tied to the eternal purposes of God that reigns over all of life isn't that true And when we become just affected by our circumstances, we can begin to question the love of God. And when we start to question the love of God, we lose our anchor. We lose our perspective. And we can begin to be sucked into all the anxieties and all the priorities of the world around us. And so Paul, in the book of Romans, is articulating a call to the mission of Christ. He is trying to keep the church at Rome on mission on task and he's not giving them a quick answer he's giving them the deep roots of the gospel the unshakable love of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ and so I put in my notes this morning that every Christian needs a gospel paradigm through to through which to look at the circumstances of life we need a gospel paradigm 
And what I mean by that is if you're thinking about COVID, the defining thing about COVID is the eternal purposes of God in Jesus Christ. That's the defining uh, message for the Christian. We interpret everything in light of the gospel. And so while we have real questions and real difficulties, real pains and real sorrows, greater than all of our circumstances is the unchanging reality that God is building a church and carrying out a mission to the glory and in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we think about things, when we think about what we're going through, when we are puzzled and perplexed, we do not look at our circumstances and then make our projections about God. We look to the gospel and we interpret our circumstances. And that's what Octavius Winslow said. If you have a shallow view of God's love, you will have strange views of God's dealings. And, we have, and, and I'm just going to say, that's not abnormal. You read the Psalms, the psalmist is all the time saying, How long, O Lord? But often he has to turn and ask the question, what's the matter with me? Why, are, why am I downcast, O oh, my soul? And the problem is not that God forsakes his people, but people forget their God. It's not that God turns away from his people, it's that his people will turn away from him in those circumstances. And the love of God works to focus. So I wrote in my notes here this morning, Christians need gospel glasses through which to see our circumstances. And some people would look at us and go, oh yeah, gospel's for those who are struggling. Religion is for those who are weak. You need these rose-colored glasses. And I'm saying we do not need rose-colored glasses. We need red-colored glasses. We need uh, cross-blood red glasses through which to look at the circumstances. Because Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if God didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not freely along with, of, with him give us all things? He argues from the greater to the lesser. My dear friends, if you don't think God's going to take care of us in COVID, what are you thinking about the cross? God didn't spare his own son. There's something bigger than COVID-19. There's something bigger. It's the condition of the human soul. It's the, it's the eternal welfare of creation and human beings. And God didn't spare his own son. And so we looked at that last week at the love of God, that here's the amazing depth of God's love that he gave his son. And when, and when you understand the gospel that Christ died for us, you need to understand if God is for us, who can be against us? And so we have this um, God who's defensive over his children. He silences every accusation against the people of God. And so we have lots of accusations come up in our own heads and our own hearts. Why aren't you doing better? Why aren't you more courageous? Why are you anxious? Why are you struggling over this? Why, where's your joy gone? You know all those voices that go in your head when you're struggling, those struggles that you have going on inside, the accusations, God does not tolerate them. Not in the sense that he doesn't empathize with us. They just don't hit him and go, oh yeah, you're right, I shouldn't be on the side. You know, we, we think God is sitting up there with his arms crossed, indecisive about Dibley. Well, my dear friends, if God was indecisive about Dibley, it would have been settled a long time ago. But it was settled a long time ago. Before the foundation of the world, he set his affection on us. And he ordained that his son would come. And now he'd now the one who came sits at the right hand forever to intercede. My sin didn't keep Christ from coming. 
He came to save sinners. And my sin and struggle today doesn't keep Christ from interceding. He is seated at the right hand and makes intercession for us. My dear friends, if God is for us, who can be against us? So we need a paradigm of love to remove any doubt about God's uh, purpose and love for us in our struggles. And I say that because what God intends to do is take difficult circumstances and not put his people in a cave, but put them on the front line. Romans is Paul having suffered everything. And he, you, if you read 2 Corinthians 11 and some of these sections of Scripture, you read through Scriptures, Paul, he was hammered continually. And that's what he's addressing in this text. We are like sheep being slaughtered every day. And he just says, we get hammered over and over and over and over again. And he says, what's going on with God? And the answer is, because God has got us, God is going to give us to his cause and to his mission. And so he needs to anchor us. See, friends, here's what I want you to think about this morning. And I want you to be honest. Have you spent more time thinking about how to resolve the COVID crisis than you have been thinking about how to be faithful to the call and the cause of the gospel? Because COVID is under the purposes of God in the gospel. Nothing will separate. What will separate us? from the love of God. And so what we have to do is we have to anchor ourselves in the gospel and realize that even the hardest difficulties of our lives are not separated from the love of God. He's greater than those things, and he will transform those things and work through those things so that we might become like Christ and the world might come to Christ. That's what he's doing, to bring the world through Christ. And so I want to read the Elizabeth Elliot quote that uh, Maureen reminded me of um, this morning. And uh, she says this, God never withholds from his child that which his love and wisdom call good. I'm going to stop there. God never withholds from his child that which his love and wisdom call good. Now I just got to tell you, God's definition of good isn't our definition of good. God's got a greater good. So she writes, God's refusals, sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for, doesn't answer what we want. God's refusals are always merciful. Then she writes, severe mercies at times, but mercies all the same. (laughs) Are God's mercies not new every morning? They are. Who wrote that? Jeremiah, who had just written that God's miseries were new every morning, it seems. And some mornings we think God's miseries are new every morning, but all God's mercies, even if they're what she calls, Elizabeth Elliot's severe mercies, are every morning, are new. God never denies us our heart's desires except to give us something better. Isn't that a good line? Now here's the quote. That's That's not the quote that Maureen reminded. This is the quote. As Elizabeth Elliot, and you know the story of Elizabeth Elliot, right? So her husband became famous as five missionaries went into Ecuador to reach the Aka Indians. And some of you saw I posted this week that um, the, the actual Aka Indian that killed a couple of the men, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, uh, uh, Nate Saint and uh, Macaulay and some of the other men, one of the, the, the uh, Aka Indians who killed the men died this week. He's lived all this time since they went in to reach him, but he was converted to Christ even though they had 
died. And so here's Elizabeth Elliot seeing the sovereign kindness and mercy and love of God at work in circumstances where we would go, why God? That doesn't make sense. These were zealous men willing to lay down their life, and you snuffed them out in their 20s. Does that make sense? Have you ever had those scratch-your-head moments? And she reflects that this was, this was instrumental in the advancement of God and answering actually the deep... If you ever read the, the journals of Jim Elliot, God answered Jim Elliot's greatest longings through, greatest, through Jim Elliot's short life and his death. And, uh, and the... the um, uh, Minkei, who was the Aka Indian who had come to Christ, became part of the family. He was, he was called Grandpa by Nate Sate's um, uh, kids, Steve Saint and his family. <laughs> came right in to their family, and they called him. He came to Christ, and, and uh, he's just been a powerful testimony. And Randy Alcorn this last week just told the sto- many of the stories of how um, Minkei had come to Christ after being a violent um, a native who had killed these, these five men. But Elizabeth Elliot, reflecting on the love of God, said these words, I have one desire now, to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord. You prayed something of those words. <laughs> it was almost those words. To live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it. And it reminds me of... Uh, you know, after uh, Faith had died, uh, my late wife had passed away, walking along with my two girls, jogging the day after the funeral, and Kathy looking at me and saying, Dad, there really isn't much to risk. And I thought she got the message. She got the message that as grieving and as difficult and perplexing as the situation was, she realized that God would give grace even in death so that we could fulfill our calling. And when we get that point where we can say to God, I want, because I believe the paradigm of my life is the gospel, that God is for me and not against me, and that he is at work in every circumstance, then God, bring on what you want to bring on and send me out in, rec- as Elizabeth Elliot says, reckless abandon for the sake of the gospel. And Paul's arguing for that. So he hammers home. What will separate us? Who will bring any charge? God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God. And so as we come to this kind of climactic point at the end of Romans chapter 8, and he asks kind of these crescendo questions, loud, important, real-life questions for people who hurt. As he asks this question, we pause and say, who will separate us? What's the answer? No one. Now, it's interesting how he answers it, and I'm just going to give you two categories for this this morning, because he doesn't answer just in who answers, because he's, he's staying on who will separate us, because the who that answers it is Jesus Christ. But he talks about all the range of extreme things that can come into the Christian's life, and he says, these things cannot separate you from the love of Christ. So let's look at Romans chapter 8, and I want you to look at verse 35 and 36 initially. And I, I call these in my notes hard circumstances. And I want you to see why hard circumstances, and you know, there's more to it than hard circumstances here, but um, he says the hard circumstances I put in my notes, the sufferings of this life that threaten to undo us actually serve to advance the merciful mission of Christ to save a people for himself 
from their sins. And so I want you to think about that this morning. The sufferings of this life that we feel like are going to undo us. And I'm just going to keep COVID over here because I think it's one of the real but lesser trials that Christians have faced, even in this world these days. If you're in North Korea and you're in in Nigeria and you're in some places around the world, Iran, some of these places, the suffering that the believers have been enduring has been incredible compared to what most of us have faced. But we, we put that there and say, why would God bring such hardships upon his people? And the answer is, it serves the mission of saving a people for himself. That's the first thing. So listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists them. Shall tribulation or distress? you understand why I use the word hard circumstances? Because they're kind of general statements he's saying here. They're not exactly people, but it's whatever. He says, so who shall separate us? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? So is it war? Is it opposition? Is it isolation? You know, he puts all of these things. And Paul knows what these are like. So if you want to go in 2 Corinthians and read, Paul's not talking, these are theoretically things. That, these are possibly the worst things that could happen to you as a Christian. He's actually saying, this is what happened to me. And it's not, well, Paul's not just saying, this is what's happened to me. He's saying, this is what's happening to God's people down through the ages. And that's why Peter will say in 1 Peter, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal you're experiencing as if something strange is happening to you. Christians, when Christians go through hard times, we ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there's a lot of answers to the question, who's a good person? Jesus answers that. Why do bad things happen to God's people? And that's a good question to ask because the Bible answers and addresses that from beginning to end. But what you need and I need to look at is verse 36. He says, as it is written, these first words are crucial, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. I want you in your Bible to at least underline or at least think about for your sake we're being killed. And so here's Paul's He's quoting from Psalm 44. If you've got your Bible, why don't you turn to Psalm 44 so you can see this psalm that he quotes verbatim. But Paul is not randomly choosing this text. He's going to a text that talks about the fact that Christians will at times encounter suffering even though the suffering cannot be pointed to is, you know, this is what happened with Job's buddies. They came and said, if you're suffering, Job, you must have done something wrong. Psalm 44 is the argument about suffering when you haven't done anything wrong, right? When you're actually committed to the Lord. Israel's got a lot of suffering. We read Psalm 107. They have a lot of suffering that comes because they made bad choices. We struggle when we suffer, when we've made the right choices. And it's come back to bite us. When we've given ourselves up. So if you look at Psalm 44, at the beginning, the psalmist, this is the sons of Korah, Oh God, we've heard with our ears, verse 1, Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the people, but them you set free. 
For not by their own sword did they win their land, nor did their own arm save them. Who saved them? The Lord. But your right hand and your arm and the light of, in the light of your face, you delighted in them. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our force. Foes, through your name we tread down those who rise up against you. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. You saved us from our foes. So you, you understand what he's doing there? He's saying, I can't save myself. Doesn't life teach you that? I can't deliver myself. If I have to save myself, I'm in big trouble. And that causes us anxiety. But notice what he says in verse 9 down. But you've rejected us. And disgrace us. You haven't gone out with our armies. You've made us turn back from the foe. You, those who hate us have gotten spoil. You've made us like what? Sheep to be slaughtered. In Romans, Paul will quote this later in verse 22, but he comes back to that. You sold your people for a trifle. Now go down to verse 17. He says, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. We've not been false to your covenant. Our heart hasn't turned back. Nor have our ways departed from your ways. You've brought, uh, you have broken us in the place of jackals, covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten your name or spread our hands out to a foreign god, would not God discover this? He knows the secrets of the heart. Yet, Paul, this is the quote from Romans 8, yet for your sake we're killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Why does Paul go to this text of Scripture? Because this text talks about when God takes his best servants in their best moments and causes them to suffer. You ask the question, why God? And what am I to do? I can't save myself. The answer is to me. We look to you. And those, those are the times where we really struggle. It doesn't make sense. Why take Jim Elliott in his 20s? Right? Why Robert Murray McShane? David Brainerd? Some of these people who have sold everything, left everyone, they, they weren't forced by the culture to go into isolation. In those days, when they left, they left. When they left, they, didn't, they, just, they weren't FaceTiming, checking in. And they went out and made these great sacrifices, and it cost them their lives. And he goes back then... Uh, to that text because he knows as he's been arguing in Romans chapter 8 that it is God and God's sake that this suffering comes from and that's actually the source of hope it's not meaningless it's not purposeless it has got an eternal purpose in mind and what is that eternal purpose one it's to prepare you for eternity and so there is no suffering, he's been arguing, that comes as punishment. Get that out of your head. God no longer punishes. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? We are not being punished because we're being persecuted. We're being prepared. We're being purified for eternity. And so you and I need to think about that this morning. I put two things on the sheet. Why does God cause suffering? For our hardship, uh, suffering as we serve Him? Why does He bring hard circumstances? One, I want to believe, is to prepare and awaken His church. Do you understand God's people sometimes get a little sluggish? And God's people start to get 
distracted and God's people start to get not have trouble in the busyness. You know what it's like. You're trying to homeschool. You're trying to you're trying to, to organize your family. You're trying to develop your career. It's pretty easy to lose clarity and focus. And God use hasn't God done this with COVID-19? Hasn't he just gone, <laughs> put the brakes on it and said, what are we doing, folks? And everybody's going, what are we doing? How are we going to do it? And it's very easy. I, I just do this as a warning. It's very easy for us to slowly and subtly go back into the idea that what's going on is a new thing. Is we got to figure out how to live with COVID-19. That's not the dominant issue. What you and I need to realize is we need to get ready for eternity. And we need other people to get ready for eternity. So take your Bible and go to 1 Peter, because I think 1 Peter chapter 1 teaches these things. So there's two purposes, to get God's people ready for eternity and to get people, God's people on mission for eternity, to evangelize the world. So one of the best texts. In fact, here's what I would suggest. Um, if you're studying Romans 8, I would encourage you to read all of 1 Peter. Because 1 Peter really is... Uh, Peter writing to the persecuted Christian and addressing what do you do when you're persecuted for doing the right thing. He, he'll say things like, uh, if you suffer because you've done something wrong, that's no big deal, right? Oh, it's a big deal, but it's not what we're called to. But he says, if you, are, if you suffer for doing what is right, you're just like Jesus. Now, what did Jesus do? That even as he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And so the argument of 1 Peter is how do you live life when you're, not, when, life is, when you're not getting treated right and you're on mission for God? And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, which that verse, verse 12, where he says, do not be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. In 1 Peter chapter 4, go to verse 1, where he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Pause. Do you have that as your, as your weapon in your mind? That God will bring suffering into the lives of his people. Because God, God did that with his son. Jesus came to suffer. God gave his son, and let me tell you this, God will continue to give his sons for the sake of the gospel. Not in a redemptive way, because Christ has paid for it all, but in a way to bring people to be reconciled to God. So he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to spend, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So one of the things he's saying here, I think there's a double side to this. He's saying on one hand, that when we suffer for the gospel, one, and we arm ourselves saying, God, bring whatever you need to bring, then you stop living for sin. It's preparing you. It's sanctifying you. Arm yourself with this purpose. My purpose isn't to, you know, your, your purpose isn't primarily to protect your 401k. It's to be prepared for that which cannot be taken away. Don't worry about what you shall eat or what you shall, shall drink. God is your salvation. Now, it doesn't mean we don't have those ongoing realities, but you and I need to stop and say, when you, when you arm yourself with the purpose that I'll, I'll go wherever God calls me to go, and I give myself, as Elizabeth Elliot says, to reckless abandon to God, 
One of the things that will happen to you is you'll stop striving for things you shouldn't be striving for. And you'll start living for what does he say at the end of verse 2? For the will of the Lord. Now, what's the will of the Lord? The will of the Lord is to be on mission for God, to spend your life for eternity. And so this is what's going on. There's a recalibration. Suffering recalibrates us. For on the one hand, it helps us to realize that we have the wrong idols. We have, we have, we have idols. We, don't, we have the wrong gods that are governing our lives. We're anxious over things we shouldn't be anxious of. And it's amazing. We can be so worried about what's going to happen with COVID-19, and we can be prayerless for the souls of our neighbors. What do we need to repent of? What do we need to be concerned about? And so go down to verse 7. Sorry, uh, down to verse 17. There's a lot of instruction here, but, but look at verse 17. It says, it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely safe, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will do what? Entrust their soul to a faithful creator while dealing, doing good. And so here's, here's what the scriptures tell us. The scriptures tell us that God is sovereign. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. What's God doing? He's extricating his people from their idols and their sins and the wrong priorities. And he's preparing them for eternity. Thank God. Now, when it says that it's time for judgment to begin with the house of God, you put it with Romans 8, you understand Peter is not saying that God's punishing us. The punishment's been paid. He argues all the way through 1 Peter. He's not punishing us for our sins. He's extricating us from our sins, purifying our priorities. That's what he's doing. And what he's doing is getting us back on mission. Thank God he does whatever's necessary to get us on track, to clarify our mission. So I got a couple of quotes here that I hope are helpful to you. William Law, Puritan writer, said these words, Receive every inward and outward trouble, every disappointment, every darkness and desolation, desolation with both your hands as a blessed occasion for dying to self and entering into fuller fellowship with your Savior. What God is showing you is your Savior is what you need. He is your life. Look at no inward or outward trouble in any other view. Pause. Do you hear him? Any inward trouble, any outward trouble, rightly understood, is not punishment if God is for us, if Christ is for us. It's not so receive it for what it actually is. And he says, reject every other thought about it. And then every kind of trial and distress will become the blessed day of your spiritual prosperity. Isn't that good? What will separate you from the love of God? No of those lists of trials that Paul experienced, those hard circumstances, can separate you from the love of God. There's no gap there. There's no flickering in the love of God. God is not you know, left the room to go off and do something in, a, in another room of the house and you're in here and, it's gone, and while he's stepped out of the house or gone off, everything's gone chaotic. God's love never ceases. 
His care and His purposes never fail. And the moment you can come and embrace every trial as having first come through the hands of a Father who loves you, then it is blessed to you as for your spiritual prosperity. One of the famous quotes I have here from C.S. Lewis, which is quoted by John Lennox, and John Lennox is a professor or emeritus professor at Oxford University in mathematics. He's actually, if you ever listen to uh, Keith and Kristen Getty, um, this, he's Kristen's uncle and a uh, close relationship with Keith and Kristen, but he's a, he's a well-known, he often speaks with Rabbi Zacharias Ministries, but he's at Oxford. So the quote from C.S. Lewis is, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. Don't we need God to get our attention sometimes? It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I love that combination right there. Because what we're being told is that when God brings suffering, it's not just, ra- it's not just sanctifying his church, it's getting the world's attention. My dear friends, this is an opportunity for the gospel. People are being reminded that they are mortal. That in one moment they've got their economy together and in the next moment it is absolute chaos. We are not God. God is God. And so John Lennox, talking about COVID-19, says, From that perspective, it seems to me that COVID-19 might well function as a huge loudspeaker. I can see that happening because it reminds us of our vulnerability and our mortality. Are you feeling vulnerable? Are you feeling mortal? If these events induce any of us to look to God who, to be honest, we might have ignored for years, and help us to think about the matter of the fact that we are mortal and will someday have to face him, then something good could come out of this. Doesn't that change your perspective on what's going on? God's on mission. He didn't go asleep. And he's got two purposes. One, it's to get his people on mission. And number two, it's to get people's attention. So as Peter says in 1 Peter, we might have an opportunity to explain the hope that we have. And gives us opportunity for that. I like David Livingston. Those of you who know David Livingston know in, I think Livingston was 1800s. I think it was the 1800s. He went off to Africa. And you know, Dr. Livingston, I presume, if you've ever heard that. Came back to speak. He would do these tours. He was teaching at Cambridge University. And uh, this is a quote from his lectures at Cambridge University. He says, the word written shall find its, I like this line, own mysterious torturous way into every region dialect and the language of the earth don't you like how that that's a pretty honest thing for a missionary the word of god will find its own torturous way into every tribe is god going to take the gospel to every tribe tongue and nation he is he's going to show christ and in his love he's going to have to show us that we're mortal and we're vulnerable, and we're not self-sufficient, and we can't save ourselves, and there's only one name under heaven by which men can be saved, Jesus Christ. That was David Livingston shaped his ministry, and he suffered, and he did hardships as he advanced the gospel. And so what has to happen for us is we put on the paradigm of gospel love and realize that, you know, what will separate us? Let's list everything that could come at us. It can't come at us without coming from and through the love of God. His love for you as his child, as his servant, and for the cause of his mission. 
That's what he's up to. Mission has not stopped. The ministry has not stopped. Salvation has not stopped. When Jesus stands before us, when he returns, we'll know the mission's over and we've completed what he's called us. So that's the first thing. That's, those are hard circumstances. The second thing I want you to see is hostile powers. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 8 near the end when he continues the questioning. Know in, verse 37, know in all these things. What things? The hardships. And then he lists more. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I want you to think about that this morning because what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? I believe what's being taught here, and I'll give you a quote here from Tom Schreiner. I think it's Tom Schreiner I got. Yeah, Tom Schreiner's quote. That when Paul says that we are more than conquerors, and then he starts to list these forces. They could be opposing forces, or they could be all the forces that come against us. But as, as those things are listed there, uh, what we are taught is that what Christ is doing is not simply, he hasn't just conquered death, he's co-opted death. Death, it's one thing to defeat death. It's another thing to make death work for you. It's one thing to take demons, right, and defeat Satan at the cross. It's another thing to flip Satan's activities, right? What was Satan doing? He was putting Jesus on the cross in order to get rid of him, right? All the temptations. Let's get, get rid of this Messiah. Does everything he can. What's he end up doing? Getting defeated by the very death of the one. Right? That's why John Owen's classic work, the death of death and the death of Christ. <laughs> what happened? The Christ comes and dies. Satan, what he does? He raises his hands. We've destroyed him. And then there's got to be the aha moment. We just destroyed ourselves. So to be more than conquerors in the love of God means this, that God in his love doesn't just defeat our enemies. God co-ops our enemies. And everything that would have been a curse is now a blessing. Everything that was against us is now. Everything, all things. Get the all things things here, folks. In Romans 8, all things that oppose us are now for us. Even death. <laughs> even death. Now doesn't defeat the believer. Becomes the doorway to something far more glorious. Isn't that, isn't that great? Isn't that freeing? In all these things. So Tom Schreiner writes, By virtue of their union with Christ... They not only endure death, but death is for them. All the woes and sorrows of the present world are turned to their good. And I just want you to get that because this is the paradigm. Everything that normally would be against us is now for us under God, even if we don't get it, even if we don't understand it. We don't have to understand the details. We have to understand the God of the details in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the forces that are work against us, seeking to drive us away from the Lord. So here's the thing is, you know, we, we have all experienced incredibly difficult times. And the enemy would like to take those difficult times and turn us away from God. God, in Christ, takes all those difficulties and turns us to Christ. The very things that would take us down, he uses to take us to Christ. And so that's what it says in this text uh, of Scripture. So they're designed to deliver us and to bring us to God. So what I did, um, and I don't know if I can pull that up for folks to see, is I listed all the things that were said here. And it depends how you read this text of Scripture, but I think what he's doing is he's either taking co contrasting, you know, death or life, 
angels or rulers. Some of the commentaries take angels or rulers and they either say the angels are like the angels that belong to the Lord who are ministering spirits and the rulers is the word in the Greek that's used for demonic authorities that come against us. You know, you see in the heavenly realms in Daniel and so on that the angels are battling uh, in the heavenly realms, there's a spiritual dynamic warfare that's going on that we are only experiencing blindly on this side of heaven. And so, um, so it's demons and angels, it's death and life, it's things present and things to come, nor powers. And I think that powers there is ultimately political powers, kings and kingdoms and dictators. And you know, if you're in the Roman Empire, Caesar, I mean, they, they were... They were persecuted clearly, brutally, around this time for the gospel's sake. And what's Paul saying to them? Do you understand that you take all those things and none of those things can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus? So I I did a list here. Death ultimately serves Christ. Do you understand that? Death which brought the end of life is now the doorway to life that leads to greater blessing. Demons ultimately serve Christ. Be careful, (laughs) you know, but they end up doing this purpose. Demonic strategies in the heavenly realms designed to bring the end of God's people will end up bringing the deliverance of the nations. We see that at the cross. Dramatic events, things present, things to come. You know, what's going to happen next? Is is COVID going to last Two months or two years? What's next? You know, we didn't see this coming. What's next? Things present, COVID, things to come, who knows what? Guess what? Whatever they do, they'll serve the purpose of God. They will always serve Christ. So I put on my notes there, stop worrying about the future because you know who holds the future. Dictators and governors, my dear friends, whatever the politicians decide, the king of kings rules. And he, he's not sweating. He's not sweating. He's not worrying about it. He will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Difficulties, ultimately, right? Things height nor depth. The mountains that block us, <laughs> the valleys that are before us, whatever the height is, whatever the depth is, whatever it is, cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Never a day, never a moment, never an event, never an enemy. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? Under Christ, everything in all creation, good and bad, will ultimately turn out for our good and ultimately result in his glory. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I want to end by telling you uh, a little story um, about Nate Saint's son, Steve Saint. And Randy Alcorn tells that in that um, article that just came out when, um, when he was telling uh, how um, Menkehi, the, the, the man who had killed Nate Saint and, and Jim Elliott, had come into the family and had become like, one of, like a grandfather to Steve Saint's kids. And so um, I'll just read what Randy Elkhorn said because it's a powerful story because they meet uh, Steve Saint's daughter, Stephanie, uh, who is 20 years old. She's coming back from a trip, and Mankei was with them. And so they meet her at the airport. But listen to the story. Um, Randy Elkhorn says, Steve Saint told me about the day that he and his wife, Ginny, 
eagerly waited to meet their daughter, 20-year-old Stephanie, at the Orlando airport after she had returned from a long trip. With the saints stood Mankei. So here they are at the airport, one of the tribal warriors who in 1956 murdered the five missionaries in Ecuador, including Steve's father, Nate. So can you picture this? They're at the airport. They're waiting for their daughter to arrive, and beside them is the man who killed his father, (laughs) who has now stepped into the place of the father as the grandfather. Talk about redemptive, powerfully redemptive. Eventually, the gospel, through, the, through the gospel, his victims had brought him to him. Sorry, eventually the gospel, his victims brought him, had transformed him. Mankei became part of the saint family with the children calling him grandfather. At the airport, Grandfather Mackay was waving a sign, upside down, by the way, he wrote, upside down, which said, Welcome home, Stephanie. That night, in the midst of their celebration, Stephanie developed a headache and asked Steve to pray for her. Ginny sat on the bread, bed and held Stephanie while Steve put his arms around both of them and started praying. And while he prayed, Stephanie suffered a massive cerebral hemorrhage. They rushed her to the hospital where Menkehi saw his beloved Stephanie, whom he called Star, lying on a gurney with a tube down her throat, needles in her arm. He grabbed Steve and said, who did this to her? And Steve said, I don't know, Mankei, nobody's doing this. And Mankei grabbed him again and said, he called him Babe. Babe, don't you see? God himself is doing this. That's a tough pill to swallow. But excitingly, Mankei addressed all the people in the emergency. Don't you see God loving star? He's taking her to live with him. Can you imagine that? Here's the man who murdered their grandfather preaching the hope of the gospel to them at the most critical moment of their lives. God is loving her. That's not be easy. None of us can see that as easy except for in this. The love of God is never separated from his people. Never. And then he said, look at me. I'm an old man. Pretty soon I'm going to die too. <laughs> this is Menkei talking to Steve Saint. And I'm going there too. Well, guess what? Mankei this week met Stephanie and met Jim Elliott and Nate Saint around the throne of Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. And so what do you, what do you and I need to do when we're facing circumstances that are difficult? We need to put on the glasses of the gospel and say, if God is for us, who can be against us? What will separate us? And the first thing we do is give thanks in every circumstance. This is the love of God. That's hard to do, but do it by faith. Give thanks in everything, Paul says. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Then confess your struggle to trust Christ. God, I'm struggling. This is hard. I want to believe it's love, but it doesn't feel like love. Help me believe the truth of it that I can't see by looking at the facts of Christ and his death and his resurrection. Here's another thing. Friends, repent of complaining. I, I would say this in COVID-19. If you're complaining more than you're praying, if you're grumbling more than gospeling, you need to repent. I need to repent. Ask Christ to help you see and seize the opportunities. This is the day the Lord has made. This is an opportune moment. This is 
God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray, God, show me, help me to see. And then if you can do those things in that order, the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, dear friends, because nothing ever will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? An amen in your heart. An amen in your life. And an amen in your living. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Let's pray together. And so, Heavenly Father, whether it's hard circumstances or hostile forces, everything ultimately is under Jesus, who's Lord. What will separate us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? No, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Jesus is Lord, He's Lord of it all, He's the Lord of love. He is the Lord of life. Oh, help us see, oh God. Help us savor the goodness of Christ. Help us be sure that nothing will separate us. No moment, no event. And more than that, you will use it, dear God, to prepare us for glory and to proclaim the gospel to the nations. Help us see and help us seize the moment. I pray, dear God, for any person who is sitting there today and struggling to believe. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, that as the the man in the gospel said, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help us with our unbelief, O God. Sometimes it's dark and it's difficult. It's ugly, it's mean, and it's hard for us to see why people who are living for God have such hard lives. But we need to see in the gospel that you are leading us to glory and that your love endures forever. So for those struggling, cause them to cry out to you. But more than that, help them to believe, dear God, in the hope of Christ. This is our deep prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.